0: If you would take your Bibles, we're going to be in Philippians again today. Philippians, this will be the second in our series in Philippians. And uh, if you need a pew Bible, there should be one uh, on the row near you. We'll be in chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. And if you use a pew Bible, that'll be on page 980. 980. Now, I can't believe it's been almost 10 years. 10 years, uh, January 15th. Uh, Flight 1549, do you guys remember that? The uh, flight that uh, landed in the Hudson. Uh, You might remember the story that the plane took off from LaGuardia. Within just a little bit of time, it ran into a flock of geese. Both engines uh, were knocked out. And so within about uh, two seconds of that, I think, uh, Captain Sully... um, radioed in and said, mayday, mayday, and uh, explained, you know, briefly in that jargon that they do that only Steve understands um, that they do, that uh, they were in trouble. So the the air traffic controller directed them to turn around and come back to LaGuardia. He writes that within the next two minutes, he knew there was just no way they were going to get back. They, They weren't. And so he, he makes a decision within that two minutes. The air traffic controller tells him, this is the particular uh, landing strip you're to land on. Um, and he says, uh, we're not going to make it. We'll be in the Hudson. I mean, it's just like that. We'll be in the Hudson. And so he said that he made the decision. He said, I was thinking, how can I save these people? The, 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 uh, the, in that dense population of New York City, the best place he thought as he was flying, you probably, you know, if you've seen the movie, it's right there. He's looking at it and he realizes this is the place where I think I can land a very fast jet safely as well as anywhere because of the, the population density there. So that's what he decided to do. Um, you can imagine the people on the, the, the plane and, and the things that they're hearing, the things that they're wrestling through. And they all think they're going to die, And then the captain comes up over the intercom and he says, "Brace for impact. That's it. Boom, that's it. They brace for impact. They hit the water, and all 155 people survive. Is it amazing? Well, if you've ever watched the people gather and I, I didn't see them gather this year, but at the 10th anniversary, I'm sure they did when they gather, they'll talk. And you can see this camaraderie. You you understand that they went through some very frightening moments when they heard those words, praise for impact. You also see some incredible things happen. Uh, One guy in an interview I saw one time said, I grabbed the lady's hand beside me and I began to pray. The ladies talked about how the men just made way for them to get on the lifeboats first. You know, people were standing out uh, on the wings. Some of the boats were, you know, the rafts were inflated and they were getting the ladies on those. Within four minutes, all these, you know, uh, boats were around them rescuing people. And everyone was just amazed. Everyone is always amazed and encouraged to talk about the captain who saved them. Captain Sully even said when he got out on the wing, he actually tried to count everyone, but he, he couldn't. You know, there was just no way. He wanted to make sure they were all safe. And so when you see them interviewed, they have a love and affirmation, affirmation for him. They admire him. They love him. And, they, and it's interesting to me how they really, really love one another. They've been through an experience together. An experience that bound them together called the miracle on the Hudson. Well, as we turn into our word today, as we turn once again and we take a sneak peek into the mailbox of the Philippian church and we open up Paul's letter to the saints there, we see something very familiar. A glue that has bound them together. A shared experience of the gospel and community. Let's open our Bibles and read Philippians 1, 3-11. Listen carefully to the Word of God. I thank my God in all my remembrance of You always in every prayer of mine for You all making my prayer with joy because of Your partnership in the Gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that He who began a good work in You will bring it to completion at the final day of Jesus Christ. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we are so hungry for Your Word this morning. We need it in our lives. We need to think about it. We need to understand it. We desire for it to penetrate our hearts the very deepest part of us, and change us. And so, Lord, our ears alone, our hearing it alone, our receiving it alone cannot do that. We need Your Spirit. And so, Spirit of the living God, fill us. Use this Word to change us and draw us closer to You. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This morning... um, as we read this passage, we see this glue that holds them together, this gospelness. And so this morning we're going to see three things. We're going to see a gospel partnership unfold um, that holds them together. And it's based on a thankfulness for the spiritual fruit. You see Paul's thankfulness as he talks about that gospel partnership. The second thing we're going to see is a gospel promise which is a loving assurance of faith that Paul gives these people. And also a gospel prayer. And here we'll see gracious prayers for perseverance. So first of all, let's look at a gospel partnership, being thankful for spiritual fruit. If you were here last week, we, we went back and we looked at this, the saints in Acts 16, where, which is the, the Philippian church. And they were planted in Philippi by Paul, and they were a curious mix of people, if you remember. The ones that were highlighted were a businesswoman who sold fine, uh, fine uh, cloths. And then we saw a slave girl who was... Um, She was possessed by a demon and Paul released her. And then we saw this rough, kind of gruff, probably older Roman soldier who was now a jailer. And you can imagine the baggage he had in his life. And he came to Christ through Paul's ministry. And so you have these three people and others in a shared nucleus of a local church in Christ. And they're just different people. And it's amazing how God brings these people together. They have a shared experience of the Gospel. Something has changed their lives. And so about, if you fast forward 10 to 12 years later, Paul was in prison in Rome. And when the Philippian believers heard about this, they sent their brother Epaphroditus to minister to him. Now Epaphroditus personally comforted Paul. He expressed to him the affection of the saints in Philippi. And he also brought Paul a gift, a financial gift from them. Now... This is not the only time that we see in Paul's life, as you study it, where we see kind of the Philippian church involved in the life of Paul. Twice, when Paul was in Thessalonica, and once when he was in Corinthians it, it, in Corinth. I'm sorry, it mentions that the saints from Philippi ministered to his needs. So, do you see what's going on here? It's a beautiful thing. The church stood by Paul throughout his life as evidence in the gifts that it gave him for support and the desire to know Paul's state in Rome, they thoughtfully and lovingly maintained contact with him. And as Paul notes here, they were also partners in the Gospel. And he makes it clear from the first day until now, so the first time they gathered together as a congregation, until that moment, all of those, all of that time they are in partnership with Paul for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want you to think about that just for a moment. Despite the different backgrounds, despite the genders, perhaps the races, the gospel of Jesus Christ has brought them all together into a shared experience of faith, into hope, and into love. And all that bound them together in the miracle of the glue of the gospel. Just listen to the words of Paul. Listen, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all uh, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from this day, from the first day until now. Think about the love poured out in those words as he writes them. Wouldn't you love as a, as a person to receive... We talked about last week receiving confirmation and love from someone else. Wouldn't you love to receive a letter like this from someone and it's just so genuinely caring? Uh, can't you sense maybe that maybe Dan, those first manuscripts have tear stains on them. You know what I'm saying? They have tear stains on them because Paul's weeping as he's writing his Tears are coming down his face. Consider the loving relationship, this enduring partnership. It all centers around one thing, the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who knit them together. He is the center experience of their bonds together. It reminds me of several relationships that I've had in my life. A couple of weeks ago, you all know I was away and I went to the Embers to a Flame conference in Birmingham. And uh, during the conference, what they would do is they would speak for, you know, 45 minutes to, you know, sometimes an hour and 45 minutes, but they would speak for a while. And then we would break up into groups and our groups were kind of set for the week by the table that you sat at. So I sat down with some brothers. I didn't think much about it at the time. I like to kind of sit toward the front and I had myself angled where I'm in the, you know how it is. You kind of get good in your situation. and You feel good and everything. Some other brothers came in and sat down and I didn't, wasn't sure how it was going to work. I'm sitting there and. And Dr. Reeder gets up and he's teaching and he says, okay, I want you to get in the groups that you're in your table now and I want you to discuss these things. And I look up and this is the very first thought that comes through my mind. Why did I sit at this table? Am I going to get anything out of this? Now let me tell you why I thought that. Well, there was one guy sitting across from me and he's from Nashville, Tennessee. He's an American. That might work. But two of the brothers were from Thailand and another brother was from Korea. And I'm sitting here thinking, As soon as that thought passed through my mind, I went, You are an arrogant little cuss, aren't you? (laughs) Shut up and just rejoice in these brothers. I sat there and I was amazed at the things that these brothers struggled with. I'm like, Wow, that sounds just like me. That's incredible. Ooh, that story, yeah. Mm, I don't know, you know, one of the brothers started talking about Asia of Honor and how difficult it was to, he was a younger brother, how how difficult it was for him to pastor the older Asians he was pastoring. And I was like, that I don't quite understand, but I still get it. So this is what I saw. We were brothers called by Jesus Christ. He died for us. And he called us to pastor churches. And it doesn't matter what culture you're in, you almost become the church culture, because we are a new culture, aren't we? We are new creations. And so what we have is a fellowship of, of new believers. We probably had more in common together than we did with our cultures outside of our buildings and outside of our people. We were bound together one because of Christ. By the end of the week, I kid you not, I'm sitting there and almost with tears in my eyes, I looked at those men and I said, I cannot tell you how much you have blessed me. I cannot tell you what it is meant to hear of your struggles to proclaim the gospel, of your issues, because they're just like mine. And, And it was like we all hugged one another. It was amazing. That is what we're talking about here. Glue that have bound our lives together in Christ Jesus. I can't tell you how much I benefited. I can't tell you how much I learned. And so the question that we ask ourselves, or maybe some questions that we ask ourselves, are we too not in gospel partnership with one another? Do we not think that? Uh, do we not thank God in all our remembrance of one another? Might we always pray for one another with joy, because of the one thing, because of the partnership of the gospel in Jesus Christ that we have been called to as His people? Where else can you go in this world for such an enduring, such a, a loving, such an eternal partnership? The psalmist says this. Listen to Psalm 16. He says, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Remember, remember, as you seek relationships and make time for others, that the gospel partnership is the most significant partnership in life outside of our marriages. It is a significant partnership. So reach out, care, love, and rejoice in that partnership. Now as we move to our second point, Paul's uh, thankfulness moves toward a great reality for the Philippians as he reminds them of a gospel promise, a, a loving assurance for faith. If you'll look in verse 6, look at the bold statement he makes right here. He says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What he is saying is simply this. God will finish what He started. He will finish what he started. Now the question is, is how can Paul make this claim? How does he make this claim? Well, because he sees their spiritual fruit and it's based on the gospel that they received. So he sees these different people assembled together and he knows only one thing can bring these people together. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And you remember, if you do, in in, uh, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is warning in Matthew chapter 7 about false prophets. And there He makes a statement to His disciples. He says, you know, you will recognize them by their fruits. You'll see that they're false. But at the same time, if if you could see someone's fruit as false, surely you can see someone's fruit that is truly fruitful from the Spirit. And so he is calling us, and Paul was calling us, to look at the fruit of one another. Paul knew, as he looked at these brothers and sisters in Christ, that they were partakers of grace with him. He had the experience of their great affection for him as a brother in Christ. He has seen their fruit, uh, the fruit of their uh, confirmation of the gospel. And these realities point to the fact of what Paul knew to be true of God's faithfulness to his own people in Christ Jesus that God finishes what he starts. Now, brothers and sisters of Christ, this is the the doctrine of perseverance of the saints here. The doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. And we need to be careful when we think about this phrase in terms of the perseverance of the saints, it can be dangerously misleading. If it's not properly understood, perseverance may suggest something in our minds like we do it. It's all about us in and of ourselves. But true believers persevere not because they do something diligent in making use of the mercies and graces of God or anything else for that matter what we see when it comes to the perseverance of the saints is believers persevere solely because it is God who perseveres us in the faith. It is He that is working in us. Uh, R.C. Sproul notes that he prefers the term the preservation of the saints. And you'd see why. The preservation of the saints because the process by which we are kept in a state of grace is something that is accomplished by God and God alone. That's why Paul can say these words. Because Paul's confidence and our confidence in the preservation is not in our ability to persevere. All confidence rests in the power of Christ to sustain each of us with His grace and power. It is He that is going to bring us safely home. It is He that is going to fulfill all these things. That is the gospel promise of loving assurance that Paul offers us here as well as we take a sneak peek at this ladder. All we need to do, brothers and sisters in Christ, is to hear this precious truth and take hold of it. So let me ask you a question as you do that. Do you dwell on the sins of your past that you committed against your holy God? He speaks here of the past. In the text, he he was called to Philippi by the Spirit. You remember we talked about that last week? The Spirit led him there. He was on mission. He was on message. And the power of the Spirit and God began to work on these people. Do you remember when you first believed? Maybe you don't remember the exact time you first believed, but you just realized as you were going through life that hey, I really believe this. I really do. Do you remember at that time that you may, like I did, I felt very forgiven. I'm like, I've been forgiven. I can't believe this. I felt such relief. So that is true for us. And so here's the thing. Do not allow the accuser to take you back to the sins of the past. He who began a good work in you will fulfill it what about now are there days when you question and you wrestle and you wonder is God really there is this really God I mean this whole world just gives us all these things and all these messages and there's all these other gods and how do I know that you're the true God do you ever sit back and think is he really working in the world the world looks like it's a mess. Is He really working in the world? I don't have to look too far. I just look inside myself and I think, Lord, are You working in me? Brothers and sisters, don't lose heart. Presently, He isn't making you like Jesus. Sometimes you can't see it. And honestly, I think that we mostly can't see it, but it's true because He said it's true. All of you are parents. Know what it's like. Your 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 parents live uh, in another state, another place, and you go see your parents. You know, once a year, and you take your little children, and you stand there, and the door opens, and the parents are there, and they look, and they look at your children, and they say, "Wow, how you've grown!" And you kind of look at your kids, and you think, "Wow, I haven't even noticed they're growing." They're growing. This is what God sees too. He sees us growing. And what happens is if we were to have a whiteboard here and we were to say we, we became a believer here, we would see if we could map out our lives, this whole up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down, but we're still growing up. And as a matter of fact, what I would say is, is as you grow older, you should be more shocked at your sin because you're growing closer to the Lord And therefore, you see His holiness more and therefore your sin more. It is true that God is working in us. He reminds the Philippians and us that God will bring to completion all that He has promised on the day of Christ. He will finish what He started. And so do you believe in this Jesus and what He promised to do? Do you believe that He really and truly died for your sins and that He gives you His righteousness? And all you have to do is say, I trust in that. Baby steps maybe. I trust in that. I trust in that today. I trust in that. See, brothers and sisters in Christ, here's the thing. When we're going up that like that and we're going up and down and and we're kind of doing that trajectory, one day understand He will be faithful to complete it. The struggle will be over. There will be no more sins in the lives of His saints. What will that look like? We'll cherish our triune God more. We will delight in others truly without the pretense of sin. I can't even imagine. Perfectly restored in Christ will be changed from glory into glory. And so, people of God believe these truths because they are true. Believe it about yourselves. Believe that He's done this. Finally, Paul gives us a model of something that I believe we are called to do for one another. Look at verses 9-11. through And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So what does Paul model for us here? He models for us a gospel prayer, gracious prayers for perseverance. You see, Paul believes and he trusts these things are true. But he also models prayer for the saints. He models prayer for growth. While God has done everything that needs to be done for us, yet Paul models here prayer. It's important that we engage with God in prayer. For the relationship, for the working out of things, it's mysterious, honestly. Have you ever felt like I've prayed and I don't know why he's not answering my prayer? He may have answered your prayer in a way you don't realize. He may not want to answer your prayer, and be saying no. He may be saying wait. There's all sorts of things there. He is God, but he wants to us to engage with him in prayer. Do you remember the words of Paul when he wrote to the Corinthians? He wrote these words. Listen, he says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Well, Guess what? I think Paul is imitating Christ here in this passage as he prays for these people. All throughout the ministry of Jesus, He prayed for us. You see all these different areas. Now when I say He prayed for us, we might see Him praying for Peter. We may see Him praying for different people to be healed. But we see Him praying for us as human beings. And even that night when Jesus is getting ready to be arrested and tried and crucified and, and put in a grave, even that night there before he's with his disciples and he's praying john 17 it's incredible go and read it it's so incredible he says i do not ask for these only and he's talking about the disciples but also for those who will believe in me through their word so we have paul's word and what he's telling what he's doing is he's praying i'm praying for those people who haven't seen me in the flesh but who will believe in the testimony of these folks And so he prays and he says, I pray that they will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. He is praying for that gospel partnership there. He is praying for that gospel oneness, that we would be united together in Christ. That is our experience. That binds us together. More, Hebrews tells us that after the ascension of Christ, His role is kind of expanded as the Redeemer in heaven. And He continually to intercede on behalf of the saints. Isn't it incredible that He did His saving work on the cross... But then He didn't go on vacation forever, did He? He didn't go up into heaven and go, okay, it's all done. My work is done. No. He's before the Father interceding for us. Day by day, He mediates the work of the cross to the Father and applies it to us day by day. The intercessory work of Christ on behalf of His people then is to pray that our faith will not fail. And that is what Paul is praying here for the saints in Philippi. Just look at the things he prays here. First thing I want you to see is is that that your love may abound still more and more. Now, what's interesting about this is is that Paul in this letter has already mentioned their great love. I mean, there's no other. I mean, of all the churches that Paul planted, this is the one that all scholars say he's the closest with. That it just seems like this church they had this they loved one another. And the church supported him. And so even though he's highlighting their great love, he is saying, may your love abound still more and more. Isn't that incredible? So in other words, one of the things that I pray for my kids, I pray for a couple things, a lot of different things, but two of the things that I continue to pray for them is this. Father, strengthen their strengths. You know, some of my kids can be hard-headed. And that could be good in this world, can't it? It could be used for good or it could be kind of bad. I pray for their hard-headedness, that God would strengthen that for His glory. I also pray for their, 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 um, you know, their shortcomings, that God would strengthen those in a positive way. But one of the things that I see that we can pray over and over again is even the strengths that we have, Father, make us even more stronger. That's what Paul is doing here. And this prayer, you have to understand, is for an increase of true Christian love. It's not sentimentality here that, that he's talking about. He's not talking about, I feel love for you. He's talking about true, genuine love. Sometimes that love is, is that it's like my buddy uh, Michael Wickland and I, I'd walk in the office, I'd slam the door and I'd say, what was that all about? And he'd look at me, what are you talking about? And then we'd get into it about some discussion that we had over some ministry related issue. And then we would just argue back and forth real strong. And then I'd go, I love you, brother. (laughs) And he'd say, I love you too. And we trusted each other in that relationship. You can't always do that, but that's what God would have us to do with one another as we grow more and more in love. That's a picture. The second thing that Paul prays here is that your love may abound still more in knowledge and all discernment. So in knowledge and all discernment. One commentator says this, the joining of the expression depth of insight into knowledge stresses moral perception and the practical application of knowledge to the innumerable circumstances in life. Spiritual knowledge is thus no abstraction but is intended to be applied to life. And so what he's saying here is is that as you grow in knowledge, as you grow in discernment, apply that to life. I feel like I'm preaching to the choir here, but I want you to understand that what I see in greater overall evangelicalism is, hey, I check my brains at the door. I check my spiritual brains at the door. So I come into church. I put on my spiritual outfit. I praise the Lord. I say all these things. I walk out the door. And before I walk out the door, I unzip my spiritual outfit and I leave it there. And then I go about and live my life. That's not how God would have us to live. We live a life more and more and more unto Christ. And so that, young people, when you have a job one day and you're working hard, you're working unto the Lord. The rest of the world is working for the man. They're working for their boss. The man might even be themselves. They're working for the man. What Christ would have us do is to work for Him, for His glory. And so that all of that stuff is integrated into our lives. So what he's saying here is as you grow in knowledge and discernment, don't let it be abstract, but apply it to life. Gospel love is manifested precisely and only where true truth is embraced about God. So as you learn about God, as you grow in knowledge and you grow in discernment, put that to work in your life now. That's what Paul is praying for them. The third thing he prays for is that we may approve what is excellent. This is another kind of a moral issue that he is moving into. That we would choose the excellent. He is saying that if you know the true truth, and if you have knowledge of God, and if you have discernment, that one of the things that all this will lead to is choosing that which is excellent as to as opposed to that which is bad or which is corrupt. So choosing that which is eternal as opposed to that which is fleeting and temporal and passing. He wants us to choose things of excellence, things that are pure, things that are blameless so that when He returns, He would just welcome us into His presence. As we live and breathe, and, and, you know, it, and it doesn't matter if it's modern culture or 200 years ago or 500 years ago or 1,000 years ago, it doesn't matter. We live in a corrupt and fallen world and we're so tempted. We're so tempted to choose that which is not right. That which is not something that the Lord would have us do. And what he's saying here is, is that as you grow in your knowledge and as you grow in your discernment, what will happen is you will begin to choose that which is excellent. That which is praiseworthy. Fourth, he goes on to pray that they would live in fruitful righteousness. Paul is praying for the production of fruit in the Christian life. That they would be fruitful Christians. That the result of the Spirit's work of grace in their hearts would be that um, they would bear much, much fruit for the glory of God. Do you ever think about what does it look like to bear fruit? Um... You know, that Jesus talks about abiding. And I think that, if, if I were to give you one little kind of tidbit here of, 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 of a thought process, is, is that as we abide in Him, as we hold on to Him, we overflow with that. You know, we'll overflow with love. We'll overflow with spiritual fruit. And if every one of you know, if, if you've ever had one of those you know, I look at life like this, I mean there are weeks and weeks and weeks where I can go with these incredible quiet times and this incredible stuff, and I feel so close to God, and then something will happen, it'll throw me off, and I'm like, I don't feel that way this week, and I'm just struggling and I'm tempted and you know all this stuff. And and what I've learned is is that as I abide, he produces that fruit. Now what's interesting is is even when I struggle to abide. I believe He's producing fruit because He's promised to never let go. He's promised to, to, to bring it all to completion. And so it's that trust. It's, it's that I know that it will happen. When my dad was a Marine, he was on an aircraft carrier, and he said it was one of the craziest things that they would do is uh, that they would walk out on the end and, and this is the USS Independence and it had these two big huge like pieces of something coming off the boat like that. And he said that when the ship was in full steam and it was going on, he said you could walk out to the edge of that thing and you could stand and lean and the, and the wind would hold you up. He said we would just do that and you, just, you trusted it. That's what I'm talking about. You trust the Spirit to do those things in you. It may seem fearful. It may seem sometimes like I'm letting go. It may be sometimes like I'm not letting go. But it's a trust. I'm putting my weight into You, Spirit. You are going to do what You've said you're going to do to bring glory to, the, to God. That is abiding and trusting and allowing Him to work in your heart and mind that you would bear the fruit of fruitful righteousness. Now finally... He prays that all this would be to the glory and praise of our God. And if you think about this, this sounds exactly like our year verse, doesn't it? Psalm 115, 1. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto Your name give glory for the sake of Your steadfast love and Your faithfulness. Oh, that we would live to God. Oh, that we would live to Him and that we would live unto Him, that we would live before Him, that we would live for the glory of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, do we need this prayer? We do as His people. We need this prayer. Uh, though we rest and trust, just as Paul says, in the work of Christ that will be completed and, and and trust that all that will be so, he mightily prayed for this Philippian church in a way that it would be even more so. He's connecting with what God is doing and trusting. He modeled for us this wonderful prayer. And so not only has he modeled for this for us, but the Scripture commands us to pray for one another. That we would not only be ready for the day of Christ, but we would be ready to live day by day unto Him for His glory as we manifest His second body. The body of Christ. So will you pray, please, for me like this? Would you pray for one another like this? The, the Scriptures are filled with prayers that we can pray the Word of God for one another. We can lift up these things for one another. So will you? With God's help, we will. Let us go to Him in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, this is our prayer to You this morning. We pray with Paul that our love would abound more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that we would approve the things that are excellent and would live sincerely... And would live with integrity until the day of the coming of Jesus Christ. Why? Because You have filled us with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Christ Jesus for Your glory. This we ask in Your name. We pray this in Your precious name. Help us, Lord Jesus, help us. Amen.